All right, so I'll just uh, we'll just do this intro and see where it goes. Oh yeah! Welcome back to the show, everybody. This is Nathan, and I'm Marquise, and you're listening to Echo Spective. Uh, Marquise, today we've uh, we're we're really kicking things off this month. It's February. We've got some new stuff going on, um, and some old stuff going on. We just have stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, Happy New Month, everybody. And uh, the the good thing is, maybe it's a good thing, depending on your perspective, is uh, people are now going to be able to hear stories from other people who aren't us. Uh, so that's pretty exciting because that means we don't have to do as much talking. <laughs> that's always nice. <laughs> we can be active listeners. Um, echo so yeah, active listeners, <laughs> yeah, echo active, <laughs> active perspective, <laughs> active perspective. Yeah, say that three times. No, thank you. So, so Marquise, we uh, we have a, I, I guess you could say this is a, a special episode near and dear to my heart. Uh, we're gonna be showcasing a Pennsylvania based kids and family musician who also just happens to be uh, part of my family. Uh, his name oh. is his name is Stephen Courtney. Uh, he is my first cousin once removed. That's what Google told me he was. <laughs> oh well, you know, gotta trust Google. It it gets it gets weird when you have cousins that aren't like your cousins. You know what I'm saying? They're like your parents' cousins, and then it's like, well, how do how does all that work? So I had to Google it. First cousin once removed. So okay. Just want to give you a little little tidbit here, a little bite of information, um, because once we get into the episode, we're going to let Steve do all the talking. You know, he is in the uh, Lancaster and Mannheim area. If anyone's ever been up there, that's where he is. And we're going to have all his social media and website information in the show notes. Hopefully he gains some new fans out of this episode and we don't scare anybody away. But I tell you, this guy's legit. Just let me let me read off some of his accolades. I want to want to brag about this guy for just a moment. Indulge okay. me. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm here. <laughs> so he is a 2022 CPMA's Best Children's Artist Award winner. And you're probably asking yourself, what's a CPMA? Well, I'm going to tell you. It is. Well, the, thank you. It is the Central Pennsylvania Music Awards. So, Central Pennsylvania Music Awards. Okay. As recent as 2022, he won the Best Children's Artist Award. Uh, 2018, Academics Choice Award. 2016, Parents' Choice Gold Award. In 2014, he got the Parents' Choice Silver Award. So... You know, it, it, he was he was moving up. You know, um, mm. 2012 moving around. <laughs> 2012 Parents Choice Recommended Award. Uh, he's also a seven-time winner of the Children's Music 
Webb Award. Uh, he got the Arpeggio Award for Outstanding Work with Children Through the Arts. And a PAB Broadcasters Award Best TV Series. Uh, yeah, so he, he talks a little bit about um, all the stuff he's done, uh, things that he's been most recently involved in. I don't want to give any spoilers, but um, one of the stories involves a certain street. That's all I'm going to say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So much like we asked all our guests, I asked Stephen if he could remember the first time that he heard a song and it was pivotal for him. Uh, a song that really maybe changed his life or really got him excited about music. And here's what he had to say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I was trying to Google it here real quick just to make sure I have my, my dates right. Uh, <laughs> reading an article about myself. That's right. I, <laughs> when was the first time I heard music? Quoted in Wikipedia. But, you know, Nathan, I think the thing that, that the moment that I had that just really crystallized for me, the idea that someone was someone had written a song and that they were they were singing this song and it was coming to me it was, it was playing on the radio and uh it would have been in, in the summertime i'm gonna guess it was 71 72 it was the year whenever roberta flax uh killing me softly okay came out and uh i was throwing the baseball against the barn, you know, the block barn wall and fielding grounders. And I was just out there, just, you know, and other songs had been playing, the radio had been on, but it was just, I could just take myself there thinking about it right now. That yeah. opening chords, strumming my pain. And yeah. so even just singing that right now, I get goosebumps because I just, I, I kind of froze and I, you know, the ball went rolling past me and I didn't feel that one. And I was just listening to this voice. And what what's cool now as an adult going back and hearing that song is it's like that song is there's a lot going on for as chill as it is. Mm -hmm. There's this subtle, almost like a reggae drop three backbeat going on. And, and, and everything that's that's accompanying that lyric, it, it's just, again, so subtle. And at that time in my life, you know, I'm. 10 maybe 11 uh-huh and um i had and, and I, where where did you live at the time at the time i was living in a little town near kalamazoo michigan a little town called menton okay we were uh, on the first farm that we had bought there and um it was uh just this sound and this energy that that made me that made my mind for the first time stop and think not what is this and and at that time i was like how do they get them into the studio so quick that they can sing their song so the next group gets in there and gets all set up to sing their song you know yeah i, I was thinking it was more live like you know you would see like when you see a variety show on television that's what i had experienced up to that point you know that's there's, funny here's the mc here's the group you know here's a commercial here's the mc here's another band you know and so i'm thinking that that's what's going on with the radio even at that at that age 
Yeah. It wasn't till later I started to really, really oh, they're playing recordings. That's what sing, <laughs> that's what singles are. I get it now. Oh, you know, it's it was making real, sense. It was a real epiphany. And then right around that same time, uh, Crocodile Rock by Elton John. Oh my gosh. It was just this cool sounding song that was played every three minutes. I mean, they just <laughs> it was <laughs> no matter where you turned on the radio, when that song became a hit. You literally could finish it on one station. I remember when, boom, here it is again. You know, yeah. you just hit the dial. They'd be like, oh man, that one too. Uh, that's when I also first started to really get that interest in the idea of like, oh, well, how can I get these songs so I can play them? You know, I, okay. again, again, I had seen albums before. It just yeah. never really dawned on me. Like, oh, you know, you have the power to, Ask for this for your birthday or Christmas or use that allowance money, you know, save it up. I and... too can own this. Exactly. <laughs> With three easy payments of 1995. <laughs> well, back then for a penny, you could join the record club. And, wow. Uh, even Free as Columbia a Columbia house. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it was that whole thing. And you join for a penny, you get 13 discs, and then you had to buy, you know, 10 more for $80 or whatever. Yeah, I mean, either. you know, not then it was like 10 bucks a piece. It was full price still just a remarkable thing uh total side note i was down in nashville this past weekend at a recording summit Ooh. and they were they were playing john cougar's um the album that american fool was the album that had jack and diane and hurt uh -huh. so good and they had they had a pressing that was done and mastered uh by this mastering company that they knew for vinyl and and this was one of the earliest they, they actually had the card from Columbia, I think it was that that had all the mastering notes. Every time they'd print thirty thousand or whatever um, they were, they had these engineering notes, and they they would slowly tweak the album every time they'd release it. And then they played a Columbia House release, or it was you know something like just an off brand uh -huh. or cheaper pressing, and the audio difference was significant. Wow! I was just really like, huh, look at that, you know. <laughs> anyway, total side note, but that's yeah. okay buying records and uh you know that became much more of a fascination for me at that age and the the interesting thing is you've got roberta flack and then you've got elton john and right. that's like did you did you think to yourself okay like these are two totally different there I mean, was i guess for lack of a better term a genre or did you go was... hmm i'm seeing some similarities yeah you know, that's a great question because at that time, commercial radio was not broken down genre heavy. Uh -huh. You know, you'd have uh, Hey Jude would play and then uh, Jim Croce would play and then some silly novel novelty song, you know, The Night Chicago Died, you know, <laughs> some, some goofy story song, you know, yeah, yeah, Billy, don't be a hero, you know, <laughs> yummy, 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 I got, you know, and then kiss John in my pain, you're like, holy cow, it's all over the place, and, and but that was normal, that's what was, yeah. that was normal, so you really, you didn't consciously think of it, other than I was just like, uh, oh yeah, I'm not that into this song or that song, but, um, because all you had to do was, you know, turn the dial and you'd find Crocodile Rock. <laughs> <laughs> it all comes uh, back to Crocodile yeah, Rock. So true. But yeah, <laughs> that that recording just fascinated me because it was so like now or like fresh sounding, but it also had that retro vibe 
kind of thing going on with the the vocals and just the way it was yeah. played in that very not doo-wop but that just that early rock kind of a sound yeah too. i mean there's definitely kind of a frankie valley thing going on yeah there you go there you go great reference yeah <laughs> i did backing vocals on that song in case you didn't know in my previous life <laughs> <laughs> always fun to get a kazoo and do that <laughs> yes, uh, that takes it into the comedic zone you know real quick people are like they either laugh and love it or they're like you're you're ruining my favorite song now right and the, the funny thing is it's like already teetering <laughs> Oh yeah. It's, it's like, is this song like a caricature of another song or is this though, legitimate art? <laughs> even the way Elton sings it, like at that point of his career, particularly on that album, which was Don't Shoot Me, I'm Only the Piano Player. And then the album right after that was Yellow Brick Road, the double album. Oh man. Uh, that, yeah. He released uh, Elton John. You, you look at his early career from 19, I believe 70 to 73 i think there's eight albums there madman across oh, the water wait. tumbleweed connection he did a he did a movie soundtrack 11 17 70 an incredible live album just him d and davy um piano bass and drums just rocking it and um, the original album that had your song on it which was just like self-titled elton john mm-hmm. there's i'm missing something else in there too but it, it just this <laughs> epic and diverse work of uh songwriting and bernie Taupin just such a master at at painting a picture lyrically they're all like yellow brick road you get into that album especially with the artwork back in those days you know you'd open up this trifold album and it was just this piece of art like yeah stare at i'd read those lyrics every time i'd play it and just look at those pictures over and over that album had such a wide scope of of genre blending on it and just <laughs> every you know epic it was a great era of of music for the music listener uh-huh we've really lost that experience where you you know you'd back in those days nathan you'd go to the store and you'd be walking around the, the mall and, you know, and the mall was a new thing. So you're, right. walk, you're walking around the mall and you're like, you go into the record shop. You're like, oh my gosh, Elton's got a new record. Elton John's got a new record out again, you know? <laughs> and, and, and you're like, that's what you did. You know, yeah, you, did, yeah. you didn't have Netflix. You didn't have the, everything right here in the palm of your hand that you could just entertain yourself all day if you wanted to. Right. You would see that and you'd be like, darn i don't have you know 7.99 on me so i'm gonna have to wait till i come back Man. and <clears throat> but that's what you did you'd pop the headphones on and you'd look at the artwork and you know and elton was really just turning into an elton john tribute the, <laughs> elton's albums though were really uh influential in in the sense that he put the lyrics on every album jacket um that was that wasn't done a whole lot uh, you know, I think Sergeant Pepper was one of the first ones that that did yeah. that. But I don't even I don't even think Magical Mystery Tour and some of those sub- following albums had the lyrics in all those albums. But Elton from the very beginning, because that's they were really promoting that songwriting partnership with Elton, yeah. music guy and Bernie being the the lyricist and and that was just a, a you know another great 
comfortable. You know, there's these iconic music writing teams. Um, those two guys in that era were just, there's just nobody was touching that level of stuff that they were doing. Bernie's lyrics just still to this day resonate. There's very little there that doesn't hold up. Very cool. Yeah, that is cool. Explain to our listener. <laughs> Hopefully, by the time this comes out, there will be uh, at least three. Um, oh, listeners, listeners. <laughs> what? Um, tell us all what you do for a living. Yeah, that's great. Uh, well, last week, <laughs> start. We're starting at the end, right? <laughs> right. Uh, I've been fortunate to um, find this particular niche that works for me as a songwriter and as a performer um, and it's in the kids and family music market and I, I include family in there because I have intentionally uh, since the beginning of trying to chase this uh, career down in this lane of music it was always important to me that parents would be able to be like yeah I could listen to that <laughs> you know Definitely. yeah I can hear that again you know not just be like put the headphones on and, and get out of here yeah you know and so in 1991, I took the plunge to uh, start performing full-time and started recording kids and family albums. Um, 27 at 30 albums later, I've kind of lost track. Um, Regular Ellen John over there. Well, there you go. I was <laughs> certainly inspired by that kind of, you know, uh, being that prolific in the sense. But, you know, Nathan, the thing that happened for me as a songwriter was uh, the 10 years kind of running up to that, coming out of high school and up until... 1991. I graduated high school in 79. So it was about 12 year window there. Uh -huh. You know, I was the guy standing in the corner singing everybody else's songs, trying to throw in one or two of my own. Right. Uh, you know, the folk singer songwriter guy and, and had some marginal success there. Uh, at one point we were uh, signed by a little management company down in Nashville, but you know, nothing ever really came of that. And just, you know, pound the pavement and play your gigs and you know, learn how to entertain people, <laughs> deal with drunks. So the transition from that to performing for kids was, it was a joy. I was like, oh, this, this is a really different, you know, daytime gigs and yeah. people, people listening, a controlled environment, all of that. But there, you know, we were talking just about prolific. It was the sense that there was so much that could be said. You could write a fun song, like a, like a, yellow submarine kind of thing you know uh-huh and, and or you could write something that had you know really pulled more at the heartstrings and um i just that appealed to me to be able to kind of blend the singer songwriter uh, mentality at the same time as trying to be like you know hey just good rock and roll music good music right. for the whole family and so uh this past week i performed concerts number 7003 through 7012 i had wow 10, ten shows in four days came back from that Nashville trip and it was just boom, 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 boom. So that's incredible. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's, uh, you know, I, I get a flat guarantee to perform those kinds of shows. So I, I can budget my year based around, you know, trying to play X amount of shows mm -hmm. back in the day. Uh, I used to sell a lot of CDs. <laughs> cassettes <laughs> what are those? And VHS tapes. Yeah, I know. Eight tracks. Yeah, exactly. We never did a track, but I've done uh, vinyl, I've done cassette, I've done uh, VHS and CDs. So the thing, you know, that that has really changed 
artistically for artists now, and it's one of the hardest things uh, besides performing and, and, and writing and recording. I run a recording studio, and uh, it's been one of the hardest things with new artists and even established artists to try to motivate them to to record because they're financially investing in studio time. And, right. And then you put it out there. Back in the day, I used to be, you know, I'd say, you know, hey, sell 150 of these things for 10 bucks and you're going to recoup your recording budget. You know, and you're mm-hmm. going to make your money back to press, you know, 500 CDs and get yourself up and running. And, uh, you know, now it's like, you know, let's record a single. And if you get 4.8 million streams, you'll get a hundred bucks and it'll be cool. <laughs> and I don't even know what the payout is anymore. I know I see so a revenue stream through mine because I've got a fairly vast catalog. And mm-hmm. fortunately, fortunately, that thing of targeting, you know, the whole family, I've got grandparent listeners and adults. Right. And now there's a new generation of kids growing up and their parents were the kids that are like oh yeah we had uh, yes steve mccurdy we know this guy uh-huh. and, um so that's very cool but yeah so be- be- between performing and uh running my recording studio uh i've been able to carve out a livelihood since 91 man living the dream really truly well one of the cool things i never anticipated happening was uh i was performing a show at an elementary school and teacher approaches me and says you know hey i animate these little short films but i really could use this a songwriter to help me pitch yes. some new ideas and i'm like god oh, that'd be great and and i'm like what do you do with them he goes oh i i do these short films for sesame street i'm like oh cool, cool. so we've done <laughs> i think i've heard of it yeah i'm like <laughs> you know yeah i literally was like that would be great and so uh i'll we've do done... it for free <laughs> well you know it uh those are work for hire type things. Right. So mm-hmm. you, you've got, you, you pitch a budget and hopefully they bite on it and you go, yep, there you go. I see, see um, residuals on it through uh, publishing, but it's, it's a cool thing. And it's, we've done six songs together now. And uh, that's just always fun. Even my grandkids are not, we heard you on Sesame Street today. <laughs> I'm like, so how cool. cool is that? That's yeah. Legacy yeah. of a show there. Yeah. Well, hopefully, um, you know, we'll obviously have your information uh, posted along with the episode when this airs, and you'll gain some new followers. That'd be cool. StephenCourtney.com. Stephen with Stephen with a V, Courtney with a C. <laughs> Tom with a C O M. I be I before E and whatnot. <laughs> oh, we're in. And uh, the horse was returned to its rightful owner. So, uh, oh, <laughs> looks like we're back from our commercial break. <laughs> Remember, soupy power chunky cups can help you have a great day. <laughs> How do you spell relief? <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> so, the whole generation has no idea what we're talking about. Uh, I know. Kids Go today. On. Am I right? Kids today. Ugh. So, we, we've discussed what you do now. What, what I'd like to know. And the the neat thing about this, especially when I'm going to be talking to friends and family, is I'm sure there are stories that I don't know. So while our listeners are hearing this kind of stuff for the first time, so am I. So mm. I am I'm very intrigued uh, into your life. I will be stalking you from now on. <laughs> <laughs> awesome! Yay! I got, got three thousand people now stalkers. I got fifteen hundred <laughs> followers, but I got three thousand stalkers. I don't know how that works. <laughs> So 
you were talking about being uh living the dream being a musician going on the road doing that kind of stuff uh and and kind of doing stuff on your your own terms relatively um when when did it click for you when you said you know this is i'm i'm hearing this stuff on the radio i'm buying these records i'm you know i'm a consumer an audible consumer of music uh, I want to start making my own. Right. When did that happen? The summer uh, when I was 15. So this would have been uh, summer of 76. I visited a friend's house and um, it was a older uh, guy that worked for my dad on the farm. He kind of supervised and managed one of our operations, a portion of our farm. His name is Jimmy Jones. And Jimmy... Uh, I got invited over to his house uh, one weekend, and when I was there, I walk in, and he's sitting on the couch strumming a guitar and singing Ventura Highway by America, I guess it was. Uh-huh. And I'm like, dude, I did not know you could play guitar. He's like, yeah, I, you know, I dabble. <laughs> and, uh, and then he's like... <laughs> <laughs> he's just strumming along, and he just kind of made it look so easy, and and then he took a break and he set the guitar down. I'm like, Jimmy, can I try your guitar? He's like, sure. Here's here here's the chord. See this little diagram here. You put your number one finger here and your two finger there. You got to, you know, push your thumb around here. Yeah, he he just kind of got me started. And I hit an E minor chord, and then there was another chord in that song that's kind of like a broken D chord. Uh huh. You take your uh, number your middle finger, your three, is that your two finger, your two finger, and you slide it to the second fret on the E string. So it's an F sharp. And then you split your, uh, your ring finger over to like the, I guess it'd be the G string and you hit an A there. And then you let everything else kind of ring open. Uh huh. So, so it's that gene, is that chord right there. Yeah. And, and I did it and I was just like, mind blown. <laughs> it's all over. It really was. My dad said that was the day my sports career started to just kind of <laughs> less talk about playing pro baseball and more talk yeah. about, you know, yeah, I really would like being to, a starving uh, artist. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, I had no, no clue like what that even meant, you know, so right. it didn't really that level of trying to like go for it and, and sustain a livelihood didn't happen until a little bit later. So that was the summer of 76 for that birthday that year when i turned 16 uh i was my folks gave me a guitar and um, that's so cool i wrote eight songs that day and you know all, all, gar- <laughs> all, all garbage but you know i just i didn't even i didn't even really realize that a good song is about you know a main idea and that, uh, yeah and that you know just so many things i didn't know but you're just I, writing about observational stuff i was writing because Rocking i on the road yeah, like cookies. Like, hmm, <laughs> might need to work on that a little bit, son. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was I was writing songs because I was learning chords, so I'm like, I yeah. gotta learn. I gotta I gotta two new chords I can play. So then, then you know, and you, then, then I didn't even know about keys at this point. Like that, there's certain chords that work together magically, and there's certain key, chords that do not. You know, so it's not like a bad acid trip on a couple songs, but that that was like the beginning of the idea of like 
you know, okay, I could learn how to be a songwriter. Uh-huh. And then uh, over the next couple years, you know, kind of through the high school years, I just kept playing more and more. I showed up one time to leave uh, our high school to get on the bus to go to, to another town to play a baseball game. And uh, I brought my uniform and I brought my guitar, but I forgot my ball glove. And my coach just laughed like, you know, oh, Courtney. And um, so I had to borrow somebody's glove to play that day. But it was already like becoming a real extension of uh-huh. just my energy. And then I, I really got immersed in just, you know, songbooks and trying to learn people's songs. And, st- and then I started to study and started to go, you know, it's all self-taught. But I say, uh-huh. st- you know, kind of you take a songwriter like Gordon Lightfoot and you get a catalog of like 30 of his songs. And you're just like, oh, my gosh, how does he come up with this stuff? You know? <laughs> I re- I remember I remember also thinking like I can't wait till I get a little bit older when I actually have some experience, <laughs> you know, some things that I've actually done in life that I could write right. about, you yep, know, yep. that that were genuinely mine and not me just projecting myself into some mm-hmm. future life, or being conceptual. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Fifteen years old. And... <laughs> I'm down and out. <laughs> Oh, I got you. no job. <laughs> that's right. Which was that, true. Yeah, I was gonna say that part would have been true. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I mean that's that was uh, right in that window of time was when it really clicked for me. Like, oh, there's something here that I love. And then uh, I guess it was probably let's see, I had learned to drive, so. I was probably 16 and a half, 17 years old. And I, I drove by this restaurant one day and I see this guy loading gear in, you know, and I'm like, Oh, go, go ask him what he's doing. <laughs> and it was the in little town, of three rivers, uh, Michigan, it's a guy named Neil Unger. And, uh, he's like, Oh, I'm playing a gig here tonight. I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like when he goes, Oh, I think I started at seven, play seven to 10, something like that. And so I went home and I told my folks, I said, I, I want to go hear this guy play tonight. And they're, and they were cool with it. So they let me drive and I went in and heard this guy playing and he was playing his own stuff. But then he played, he I said, I just was down in Asheville, recorded a single. And uh, I forget what it was called. I ended up buying the single though. It was a good song. It actually got some local airplay. That's cool. And uh, yeah, it was very cool. But then I just started talking to him about, you know, well, how, how do you get gigs? And he just kind of gave me a simple rundown of, you know, I, I print up this little flyer and I hand out this business card and I always give him a contact of somebody I've worked for before. So I walk into a place after the lunch hour and just see is there any, who, who's your entertainment person? You know, does anybody here I could just play a couple songs for? <laughs> you know, that's how you do. And that's how, you know, Joyce and I, have so many stories of that's how we got a foot in the door we would uh-huh. just go and literally live play sit at the bar play two or three songs and people would be like i'm coming here at least kids you know yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's newfangled music <laughs> look out they sound like real professionals <laughs> and and then you know and then i asked i remember asking neil i was like you know so how does this work you know and he goes oh, some of the better places i get a hundred bucks a night and I'm, my mind was blown 
I'm like a hundred bucks a night. Holy cow. What do you do with all that money? And, and I mean, uh, Hey, I take that now. <laughs> well, it's so weird how that is. So especially if you've got a band out there, if you, yeah, you know, yeah. the local guys here are like, you know, if we can all make a hundred bucks a night, that's a good night. And I'm just, you know, I, it, that is what it is. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bash that and knock it. There's a lot of great bands locally that have that. That's what they're kind of have to play for to do what yep. they do. Yeah. The thing that happened for me when I, when I discovered the the kids and family market and it, that was so organic how that came to me. I wrote some songs for my daughter, Brooke. And uh, when she was little recorded them on a cassette tape um, by then Taylor was born as well my son and uh, record this little cassette tape for them to listen to at night. A couple of my nieces got a hold of the cassette. Hey, uncle Steve, can we get a cassette tape? I'm like, sure. And I burn them a copy and then they took it to school for show and tell. Oh, wow. I wasn't expecting that. I got a call. Like some real school. underground stuff. It was, it was just like very organic. And then I got a call from uh, a school and they're like, can you come do an assembly for us? And at the time I was, you know, working 50 hours a week, installing hardwood floors and concrete and, you know, whatever I had to do to sustain a livelihood. Yeah. And, and then I approached my employer and said, you know, Hey, is there any way I can get my 50 hours in, in four days? And they said, yeah, you can come do warehouse work in the morning. And then after your, your crew's done, you could stay and do another hour of warehouse work for us and get your 50 hours in. We'll give you your Fridays off. And so in 91, that spring of 91, uh, I got to do about three or four school assemblies. And then the word of mouth from that started to spread. And then I got contact to get into a, a couple of the county's local uh, summer reading programs through libraries and did some community events. And <clears throat> by, by the middle of July, uh, Joyce and I are looking at each other going like, man, there could be enough opportunity to do this full time. Yeah. And so we took the plunge and, you know, 98. August of 91 is when I went full-time into it. There it is. Still doing it. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. Yeah. From LA to India, I've had opportunities to play. It's wild. That is. Damn. And, and the, you know, Nathan, the thing that, that ended up working for me, though, was uh, I came up with this phrase that less can be enough. Mm -hmm. There's not, not, less is not more. You know, you hear that a yeah. lot. I, I understand what you're trying to say, but, you know, if I owe you $500 and give you $300, that's not more, is it? Right. <laughs> less is definitely not more. We need those two things to be what they are. But less can be enough. And so I just dialed in like a five-hour radius here of Central PA where I live and said, that's where I'm going to gig. This is, you know, places yeah. I can drive to in a day and be home at night if I want to. Or, you know, if I stay out for a couple of days, it's not draining. It's not a taxing on my family and it's right. just much more manageable and there's just a plethora of opportunities with uh with within the education systems and the mm -hmm. summer community systems and festivals and yeah man well uh let's let's end on something that involves perspective mm. um i believe I don't know if this was in a response to a Facebook post I made or you and I were talking about something. At, oh, no, maybe my mom shared a post that you posted about your song, Steve and the Pirate. Yeah. And 
that the lyrics early on were different. Yeah. The Stephen the Pirate I know is right. not the same Stephen the Pirate <laughs> <laughs> from days of yore. Yeah. Um, tell us that story. Yeah, that's uh, such an interesting thing. Stephen the Pirate, I, I have this distinct memory of uh, typing those lyrics when I wrote it. I was sitting in uh, like this little workspace I had in the apartment where we lived before we built our house and moved to Mannheim here. So this would have been uh, the first kids and family album I did was called Today and Tonight. Had fun songs on the Today side, sleepy time songs on the Tonight side. 20 song collection. And I was working on a new album called Love is Like a Circle. And uh, that album also has Detective Joe Ooh. and uh, uh, another song called, uh, well, Stephen the Pirate's on there. Anyway, and I, I wrote both of those songs specifically kind of like thinking uh, like characters, you know, story song kind of uh -huh. thing. Stephen the Pirate was, uh, is written in very much almost like a limerick, you know. Mm -hmm. Stephen the Pirate was a lot like Robin Hood. He borrowed from the rich and lended the poor. And for a pirate, that's pretty good, you know. Yada, 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 yeah. yada, 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 yada. And so, again, talking about form, when you, you slowly learn things as a songwriter, you're like, oh, well, I've got this form structure for this now. I just kind of tell the rest of the story in that rhythmic pattern. Yeah. So uh, I recorded the original version. And at the time when I wrote that in probably late 91, early 92, you know, Star Wars was huge as well, it's still huge, but it was huge. The, the resurgence. Yeah, this is pre-resurgence. I mean, this is like <laughs> the real thing. Yeah and, yeah. and it was uh with that mindset, I wrote the Stephen the Pirate lyric, sort of a um a good guy versus a bad guy kind of thing. And so right. the original the original lyric was um there was Stephen the Pirate, and then his enemy was the dark pirate. And you know, kind of again alluding to the, the force, the light, right. the darkness, that kind of thing. And you're like, this is gonna go over so well. <laughs> you know what? Step it into that Star Wars market. <laughs> <laughs> it was like it was like what the next to last song on side B. That's how little I cared about the song. <laughs> I, really, I was just like when I would sequence albums, I would always you know start strong. Song number three on most of my albums is the one that's really for your heart. It's about. Uh -huh you know, kindness, love, it's, it's something universal like that. And then the rest of the songs kind of play out just with genre and, you know, what kind of feel they have in sequence. Yeah. So Stephen, the pirates, like, you know, if, if people never get to that part of the cassette, okay, no problem. They could go back to, you know, <laughs> flip it over and back to side a. Yeah. And so I, one time, and then around, around this time, I, I had a cable TV show called look, laugh and listen. Uh, no, sing, laugh, sing, laugh, and listen. And um, I was, you know, trying to come up with content for the, to fill a half an hour show. And so I just put on this little bandana and a little vest and had a little pirate sword and an eye patch, and I performed Stephen the Pirate. <laughs> and next thing I know, at concerts, uh, people started to ask. Local people were like, you know, how are you going to do Stephen the Pirate? You got to do Stephen the Pirate. Like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, sure. I'll do Stephen the Pirate. <laughs> You're like, you know, that's a B-side, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it, well, it was just one of those things. Like, it just started to happen. And so 
So that lyric at the end of the song, after this, you know, Steven the pirate, he, the dark pirate comes on, he takes over the ship, throws Steven overboard. Steven, you know, come, sneaks back up, coming up the anchor while they're pulling it in. They don't see he's there. And I don't know how that would technically happen, but it did. And he gets, <laughs> he gets in, goes back, you know, sneaks downstairs. He lets his crew out. They go up. They have this swashbuckling moment. And at the, the last, the lyric was, Everybody watched as the dark pirate fled. His body got away, but Stephen had the dark pirate's head. And it, it was, you know, and so, <laughs> you know, I, thinking of it now and thinking of like the intensity of that, it's just yeah, kind of like, yeah. but what happened, Nathan, was I, when I would perform it, I would, I had this little like burlap bag and I had this little like scary skeleton kind of head i'd pull out of it like a little pirate head you know so it also had that visual line like <laughs> whoa you know people would be like jeez i did very theatrical you know yes and uh so then it then it became you know vastly popular like people were just we were into that kind of thing when we were younger and um no i'm just kidding <laughs> but then one day i showed up at school and it was the day that Columbine happened Oof. and uh, showed up at school. It was the first time I got stopped at the door. Uh, it was the first time I was asked for ID before I entered. Wow. And it, it, this is how much things changed in a, in a day. Mm -hmm. I used to have contacts with um, the school and I would say, Hey, I'll be coming in and uh, I'm going to load up, load in around back. Uh, where I normally get to because that's closer to the stage back there. They'll be like, yeah, that's great. We'll tell Jerry, the custodian, to just prop the door open. And when you get here, just come on in. And that literally hundreds of places. Yeah. You know, when it was when this when the weather was right, I could drive around to the school, didn't have to even let the office know I was there. I would go in, they would trust me. I'd load in my gear. Jerry'd be like, hey, good to see you again. You know, <laughs> you gotta do Stephen the Pirate. You know, and and so that day just like everything changed yeah so i continued to perform Stephen the pirate for a while and then uh one summer at a concert series a family concert series it's a group of people standing around kind of hanging around after the meet and greet at the end of the show and they're like hey can we talk for a second and i'm like yeah sure what's up and they said oh, your show is so positive it's so fun it's just so good, but you know, there's there's an element of Stephen the pirate that's just, uh, and and they didn't even have to finish what they were saying because I was kind of already feeling it. Uh huh. And I was like, uh, yeah, you know, I hear you. Thank you for sharing that. That validates, you know, kind of where where my leanings were anyway. And they were like, you know, if you could, hey, no, if you continue to perform it, it's not like this is a threat or anything. And they were just really cool about it. So I retired the song for years. And um, when I re-recorded it, uh, so that would probably, I, I forget what year Columbine was. But um, when I re-recorded it, I changed that lyric at the end. Everybody watched. And I changed it from dark pirate to mean pirate. As the mean pirate ran away, Stephen's crew just smiled for they had won the pirate's day. And and also intentionally really set up the song in concert to let children know that this is a group of friends playing 
and pretending like they're having a pirate adventure. Mm -hmm. so, you know, this isn't uh, this isn't real. This is really playing. This isn't uh, Somalian type yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and so once I did that little change, uh, and you know, kind of lost the the visual of <laughs> the burlap bag. <laughs> I was able to sing that song again, and there was a whole generation that that's the gender that's the the version of the song they knew. Yeah. So they weren't really surprised that there was a different ending. But there was, you know, there was a little. It wasn't like backlash, but there were people who were like, "It you changed something there at the end." And I'd be like, "You you think?" <laughs> <laughs> and then all I had to do was start with, you know, after Columbine. Uh, and that people would be like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. they're like, oh, mm, yes, yes. Yeah, no, really, there was just a genuine because that affected, you know, the nation. Right. That was that. The, that was the first one that really took everybody's breath away in that sense of like, whoa. So, yeah. So a lyric change on that, and then uh, again, I just was approached by folks who genuinely cared. Mm -hmm. And in a kind and helpful, loving way, uh, they were able to address it. And uh, I was just able to let it sit and, uh, you know, exercise creativity. It's, it's my song. I can rewrite it if I want to. So, right. you know, uh, why not? You know, and uh, I've actually had many songs over the years. I've just tweaked a little bit, even the melody, just a little bit or a, a lyric phrase or two or had many songs that you know i've re i've written it and but re-recorded with a totally different style of music or melody because uh -huh. i was like ah i love this lyric but i'm just not happy with the end result <laughs> anyway so yeah that's the story of uh you know the metamorphosis of Stephen the pirate <laughs> what it is today and and that's important because as the owner of the intellectual property you could have gone hey like <laughs> you guys don't know what you're talking about or yeah. Like right. I wrote it, sorry. Like, yeah, I, I don't mean anything by it or whatever. You know, right. you could have been a jerk about it, but you, you know, it's you, you welcomed someone else's perspective, and especially as a songwriter, a musician, or anybody who is an artist of any type—author, painter, sculptor, um, influencer. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you you kind of get. You get tunnel vision, you, and you can right. get caught in your own work, and you you cannot be objective. Yeah. Um. So I, I think it's important not only in an artist's life, but in all our lives, to to an extent welcome being challenged. You know, right. why do you think that, or why did you write that song that way, or why did you paint that picture like that? Yeah. Um. And as long as civil discourse can occur, uh, hopefully it's beneficial for both sides. Yeah. Well, in, in that particular case for me, it, I wanted to change, you know, I realized it and they, they were just the validation I needed to, yeah. to have somebody go, you know? Yeah. Cause I was already feeling it. I would see it like in, in artwork, you know, when kids go back to their classroom and, and they would draw down, you know, but a lot of times it was just me and a guitar, but every now and then there'd be one. Like a, a severed head. Well, yeah, you know, and I'd, I'd see those and it'd be like, Ooh, okay. Uh, maybe, you know, questioning, you know, is that, is that too graphic? Is it right. too much? Yeah. And 
you know, when they said everything you do in your show is so fun and so positive and so uplifting, there's just one thing. Yeah. I was, I was like, well, I, I'll be happy to let that go. You know, Uh if I I can replace it with something else that keeps the energy going that I, this is what my intention is. Yeah. That's a win win, but yeah, it's, it's not worth it. Yeah, exactly. to, To keep that in there. The original version, though, is is actually you can stream it. It's still out there. It's on. It's what's called uh, early favorites, Ooh. ninety, the cassette year or something like that, ninety two to ninety four, and then there's uh, multiple versions of it since. Uh, one is on the Imaginary Motorplane album, and that one, that one, that particular version features a little bit more of how we played it live. Because uh-huh. uh, my drummer at the time, Hank, he had like a little counter narrative vocal that he would do to it. Just this little things he would insert between lines, which made it more comedic. <laughs> and uh, so there's that version on there. There's another version on uh, the Million Smiles to Go album. Yeah. And then last year we released, um, Sun Hill Records released the uh, Strumming Sunshine collection, which is 30 songs uh, from the past 30 years of kids and family music and they're all live. I, I started archiving live uh, multi-track recordings uh, back in 95, I think it was. So there's stuff there from 95 all the way up to the 30 year concert celebration we did last November. And uh, there's a live version on there, which has a slightly different ending than the, the current arrangement that I'm doing. It's the, the lyric is the same, but uh, there's less, there's a, a variation in the chord structure. The The new version has more of like, like a, here we come a, a underdog. Here we come to save the day. That's why I call it ending where it's just, it's just more of an ascending chord structure. Whereas uh-huh. the original chord structure is more of a dirge where it just kind of lopes along in this very predictable kind of pattern. So yeah, that live version that's on the uh, strumming sunshine is, uh, it's got some energy and that was that crowd that day was, it was about 500 folks who, wow. Yeah. They, they gave that thing life. It was very cool. That's cool. Well, if it's all the same, I'm just going to continue to get your stuff off of Napster. <laughs> hey, Napster's got to make a living. You know, what can I say? <laughs> That's yeah. right. He's got kids. Or she's got kids. They've got kids. <laughs> yeah, right. Them. Anyway, if Lars Ulrich has anything to do with it, they won't. <laughs> <laughs> so true <laughs> napster i haven't heard that one in a while when last week when i was at nashville uh there was a, a guy that i met um uh, jason carter he is the owner of atomic disc they're a company that does still does cd and vinyl manufacturing cool. i think they're i think they're down south somewhere and we were chatting and it was day two or day three of the event and we bump into each other again he's go oh did i give you my my MySpace uh, page yet? MySpace. I know. <laughs> and, and he did it so seriously. And I was trying to remember if he had given me his contact stuff. I'm like, no, I don't think I could. He just looked at me like, dude, I just said something really funny and you didn't even react. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, MySpace. Got it. He yeah. said, yeah, yeah, you and me and Tom. Yeah, we're all in there together. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's the ticket. Uh, well, Stephen with a V, I appreciate you talking to us today. <laughs> Nathan with uh, an N. Yeah, <laughs> there's two of them. Yes, <laughs> and a th- right in the middle, <laughs> just like a thneed. Um, 
Really, I, I appreciate you taking some time to to share your life, and hopefully there will be some future discussions as we move yeah. forward with this endeavor. Yeah, keep but me in the loop. You are helping lay a foundation, and I greatly appreciate that. All the best to you in this uh, adventure, and I hope it goes well for you. Thank you so much. You bet. Have a splendid day. <laughs> Hugh Aswell. You know Hugh? <laughs> right. Hugh Aswell? Great guy. <laughs> All right. Did you say hello to the German listeners? Oh, Kaiser Z Gan. Yes, Marquise. I thank you for bringing up um, our international listeners, and I just wanted to say something special um, to those five people. All right. Let Let's see if I can do this. Um, uh oh. Drum it's, roll. It's been It's been a long time. <clears throat> This goes out to all our German peeps listening. Vielen Dank an alle unsere deutschen Zuhörer. Wir leben dich. Ja, ja. Hopefully that's close enough and you all understand Ooh. what I tried to say. That was much longer than mine. Ich heiße sie gingen. <laughs> that's all I know. <laughs> all right. So let's let's speak in a language that we do know. And, and sometimes talk, talk about um talk about any any takeaways or or thoughts we have uh from this episode marquise because you know part of what we want to do and this won't necessarily happen all the time but i think there's some good talking points to take away from this um is we're, we're not only allowing others to share their perspective but um sometimes it's good for you and i to share our own um and yeah and discuss how these discussions um, makes us think about things or what it makes us think about. Um, I think for me, one of the maybe most interesting uh, points of that interview was when Stephen was challenged to think about how his work affected uh, his listeners, his audience, and just the fact that he was willing to um, take constructive criticism and and know that what his uh, what his parents with uh, his parents uh, <laughs> uh, to 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 hear what the parents had to say, um, right, and to take that to heart and go, you know, it, it's, it's, it's worth a, it's worth a thought and it's worth a change. And the fact that he had already been thinking about it anyway, and just getting that confirmation, um, that, you know, cause sometimes you're, you're in your own bubble and you're writing stuff mm -hmm. and you go, Oh man, this is going to be great. And you don't know how it's going to be received. And sometimes, right. you know, sometimes that's just as important. Um, yeah, because sometimes you just you're, you're in your own world, and I know the song you know that that, that you're speaking of, and what he's he's talking about, and it, it, when you're wrapped up in your own, I mean, sometimes it takes someone to, I mean, especially like you know, like you said, he been feeling this way, and he wasn't sure, you know, I guess right. he wasn't sure because of the response that he was getting back. It it took one person to tell him, you know, what you know what they said, and it was like, okay. Um, maybe, you know, maybe I am 
maybe it's time to 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 set this aside. Maybe it's time to to put this down and and move on and go from there because I just don't, you know, I, this is something that I've been wanting to do. So it's kind of understandable, you know, what you're saying. You, you just, but I, you know, I just feel like you are wrapped up in your own bubble sometimes that you can't right. really see it, and sometimes it does take, and, it, and sometimes it's hurtful. You know, yeah. sometimes we don't want to hear it, but a lot of those times we don't want to hear it because we know it's the truth. Yeah, and it's true. it takes a real person not to, because he could have easily lashed back and said, you know, who are you? You know, because, you know, we know people that, that have done that before. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for him to absorb it and to accept it, and I think he was born within himself first right. before he was told. So to me, I call that confirmation mm-hmm. because you already know on the inside, but you still fighting internally. And then, you know, by someone who don't even know you, but still understands you in that, in that realm. And, and it hits you and he's like, okay, that was just, it. and sometimes it's going to take one person because yeah. again, it was a, it was a, he, he had more response on a good hand as opposed to not. So he could have easily said, well, it's working right now. Right. But that one person, because on the inner side, he already knew, Hey, this is something that I might need to tone back on. Well, and as an artist, regardless of what art you are creating, you do want to know how your art is affecting people. I I think most people want to know (laughs) Mm -hmm. because otherwise you're just making it for yourself and that's okay too. But, you know, especially as a musician, uh, it's a double-edged sword because you are, you're putting yourself out there and you are creating something for a certain audience and you want them to like it. You want them to enjoy it. You want them to engage with it. You don't want them to find the flaws you don't want them to exploit weaknesses or go, Hey, uh, we're not really sure what you're trying to say with this. Um, so yeah, it's, it can be difficult because you, you don't want to be criticized, um, and think, Oh, well, just that person just doesn't get it. Um, but they may get it. And, maybe what they want to do is help you succeed as an artist in kind of saying, Hey, you know, if you made this change or, um, you know, I I've noticed that people have a certain reaction to whatever it is. Um, and if that's what you're going for, that's one thing, but you know, I, I don't think Stephen was going for, you have to reassess and go, okay, my overall goal is to write and perform music for children and their parents to enjoy together. And if I am straying from that goal, regardless of what I think what I am doing is great or, you know, trying to achieve something, you know, if the audience isn't getting it or it's, there's one thing that's really impeding them from enjoying the show as an entirety, then you kind of have to take a step back and go, okay, if I make this modification, does that ruin everything else? Mm -hmm. 
and, and if it doesn't, then that's a good thing. And maybe a modification improves the overall experience. And at the end right. of the day, that's what you want. Um, so yeah, I, I thought that was a very interesting, um, interesting story and, and good on him for being willing to be objective about what was happening. All right. Good, yeah, good on you, Steven. Way to go, Steven. Yeah. So yeah, this day in music, Marquise, why don't you, uh, why don't you take it away? Hey yo, what's up and welcome to another edition of Hey yo, what's up and welcome to another edition of Hey yo, what's up and welcome to another edition of This Day Music Hey yo, what's up and welcome to another edition of This Day in Music But we on a different day February the 7th, 1981, let's get it going. Cool in the game, smash party, single celebration. Now don't tell me, you don't know what celebration is, cool in the game. If you don't know, Google it. One of the best classics of all time. You play that at any wedding, at any party, at any cookout. It's going to get the people moving. I'm telling you, grandma's going to be moving. Great grandma's, mama's, pops. Even little babies barely can walk holding their bottles singing celebration. I'm telling you, play that song, yo. Play, 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 play it. Nin play, 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 play it. 1981, it began a two-week run at the top Billboard 100. This day... This day, this day in music. This day in, this day in, this day in music. This duo won a Grammy for best R&B performance duo or group with vocals. And I'm talking about in 1987, talking about Riri, y'all. Aretha Franklin teamed up with George Michael with I Knew You Were Waiting For Me. Now tell me again. You don't know that song. I knew you were waiting for me. What? I can hear the, the lyrics and see the song in my head. I can see the video in my head right now. That song, man, it was natural. That was an awesome song. This day in music, as we continue on. February the 7th, let's give some birthday shout outs right here on Echo Spectre. This day in music, February the 7th, 1967. My man, Kid Capri, one of the famous hip hop DJs of all time. Kid Capri was born 1967. 1962, another good gentleman, Garth Brooks was birthed to this earth 1962 david bryan all my rock buddies out there bon jovi david bryan happy birthday my man 1974 jay diller one of the greatest hip-hop producers of all time he was named coltrane of hip-hop and y'all know who coltrane is he was cold jazz right well jay diller on the beats was the same way he passed away rest in power my man but in 1974 february the 7th jay diller was born and last, 1975, February the 7th, West Borland, Limp Biscuit. Happy birthday, my man. This day in music. What?
Okay, okay, okay. damn music this damn music in 2000 february 7th rapper big punisher aka big pun he passed away y'all a heart attack um his album had just dropped or was about to come out and um he was you know changing his 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 whole diet and, and getting on you know trying to be healthy and he, he was making that turn in 2000 rapper big punisher aka big pun he passed away Rest, 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 rest in power, my man, Big Pun. And we miss you, brother, and we love those songs. You know? I don't want to be a player no more. I'm not a player. I just crush a lot. What? We will remember you. Thank you for the music that you've given us. Big Punisher, a.k.a. Big Pun. This day this day this day in This day in music. 1989. Georgia State Representative Billy Randall introduces a bill to make Little Richard's Tootie Fruity the official state rock song. Wait a Oh, it didn't pass. Out of all the people you having that's from Georgia, Ray Charles is from Georgia. Gladys Knight and the Pips on this midnight train to Georgia. You got Trisha Yearwood, Alan Jackson's from Georgia, the B-52s, and you come up with Tutti Fruity? Man, if you don't, mm, y'all, I got it. This Day in Music. This Day in Music, 1980, the Sugar Hill Gang released its self-titled album. Y'all already know what song was on that. Rapper's Delight. Ooh, that's another one. That's another one you play at a party? Oh, man, and the chicken tastes like wood. What? Hip-hop's first studio album. Of course, you know, it's debatable because, you know, people say rap was out before that, but listen, the first studio where they recorded it, they put it on wax is what they called it, and presented it to the people. It was the first of its kind to be put out like that. Congratulations, 1980. Man, the 80s, 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 man, the 80s
part of the whole deal. Uh, Marquise, how, how can people get in touch with us if they want to tell us their stories? Because we'd like to hear them. Absolutely. We on all of the sites, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, X. And also you can call us at 336-298-8124. That's 336-298-8124. And we would love to hear from you. Yeah, leave us a message. You can also send us uh, an email from the website, uh, echospective.com. And that's kind of the the hub of everything that goes on. If you're like, oh, I don't remember what the Instagram handle is, or I don't remember the Facebook, it's all there. You just clicky yeah, and, clicky. And if yeah, and if you have any any other questions, just go to the website, echospective.com. All of our information is right there on the page. And you won't have to call your friend, your grandma, your uncle, nobody and ask them. You can find for yourself. What about your neighbor's cat? Do they know? They probably know because I'm sure we're gonna have somebody was singing to a cat at some <laughs> point so right. check the cats too <laughs> yeah also if you want to help support the show um in a monetary fashion you can uh click the little coffee cup link that's on the website and that'll take you to um buymeacoffee.com um hey every little bit helps you know thank you so much for that we would love to hear from you and Buy us a coffee. That's right. And hey, if you leave us a message or you write us a message, you might end up on the show. So how cool is that? Thank you to Steve and Courtney for being on the show this week. It was yes, fantastic. Thanks, but you can check out all his stuff in the show notes. Also there, you will see information on how to get in touch with us in case you are listening to this in the car and then you get to work and you forget what was that website well you just go in the show notes and check it out when all else fails echospective.com i'm marquise and i'm nathan see you next time echospective was recorded and produced in mockingbird studios brought to you by marquise burke and nathan sieg and in part by their respective families we thank you all so much for pushing us to strive for excellence. And we thank you, the listener. Your support means everything.